goal is to bring you your next favorite band. Thanks for having us. This is a very cool show. Yeah, so yeah. through many iterations, and it finally, yes. finally landed on the weirdest one by far. Yeah, just a couple of feelings, and uh, boom, you got a song. Yeah. I, I remember this one time. I had been writing some songs, and I and I went out. This I'm just going right in on this story. I went out, and so I was. Ah, uh, okay, the story's longer than the song itself. We'll go ahead and play it. And listen, it's going to be everybody's favorite band. <laughs> Welcome to your next favorite band. That's both the show title and our promise to you. We here at Stereophilia Studio are tireless in our pursuit of finding incredible, genre-defiant artists who are either a hot, up-and-coming band or a group that has been delivering for years but have flown under the radar. Tonight, Philly-based singer-songwriter and viscerally queer, Sean Barna. Each month, we will bring you live streams, audio podcasts, and perhaps even a live concert where you can listen to the stories and hear the music of artists personally curated by us based on what we feel will be worthy of your time. Be sure to subscribe and tune in to each episode because the possibilities are endless and you never know who will be your next favorite band. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Philip Reese. Hello, and I am David Moore, your co-host. And this is... Your next favorite band. And we are... Philly is super representing here in July. Yeah, we well, you know, I mean, it's a good place to... Well, Philly in summer, it gets real hot. But uh, it is, <laughs> as far as representing, is fantastic. I, I love the fact that we've had a bunch of Philadelphia artists on lately, and today is no different. Yeah, Sean Barna. Can't wait to talk to him. I, I'm such a huge fan of his music. Um... And his latest release is just something that has just been uh, on regular uh, playlist and repeat uh, this summer for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's both the, the dynamic songwriting, but there's also all sorts of nuggets in there that get unlocked with multiple listens. And totally. it's great to find an album like that that also connects everything together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to bring him on the show. But first, a couple of things to, uh, to kind of cover. For, uh, I actually wanted to check David. Hmm. Phil, you froze up on my end. Everybody froze up on my end. I wonder if I'm still in the ch- in the process here. Hmm. Hi, Phil. <laughs> I'm back. You froze up on me there. You asked me a question that I didn't hear. Oh yeah, I asked about the um, uh, the Springsteen in your state. Uh, if you had any time to think about that one, uh, for the Pennsylvania answer is what you're looking for. Or any of them. Well, I mean, you know, as someone who grew up in Delaware, they already picked the right person for that one. Um, I was, um, I wish I had put more thought into it since our last one, because I haven't. Um, I was sort of just taken back by the whole thing. Did you come up with any that you thought should have been slotted in there? Because we talked about ones that were not represented, but the ones I did put in there were like, well, I mean, that's also a good choice kind of moment. You know, like the Bob Dylan and Prince one for Minnesota as an example. Correct. Yeah. Um, I think it was more about a, one of our super fans, actually, uh, Bad Warhol, um, had uh, written to me separately and said, how did they not pick Tom Petty for Florida instead of Fred Durst? 
Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to because we didn't listen to the episode, at least I didn't, uh, that the graphic itself drove the conversation and they may have defined Bruce Springsteen in some capacity. Like, does sure. it represent what the state is meant to be <laughs> or is it meant to represent like the story of the state in the sense of like their well, songwriting and things like that? I would be sad if that means that Florida would pick Fred Durst over Tom Petty. But well, uh, I mean, you might like be I said, Oklahoma was a fictional character, so I don't know how to fail about all of that either. True, true. I think they were just having fun with that one. But uh, uh, agreed. Yeah. But anyway, um, just thought I would check in on that. The other one is obviously we're a week out now from our Music Fest Exordium preview show. Yep. Um, so is- once again, just as a reminder, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, next Tuesday, uh, August 1st, uh, 7 p.m. we'll be starting. Uh, we will be broadcasting from the Flying V Poutinery. Uh, so thank you to Christy and Matt for that. Um, and as we talked about, there are going to be some uh, just simply sharing of uh, must-see bands, uh, along with Patrick Brogan from Arts Quest. We're going to get some of the early weather projections from Bobby Martrich at Ipawa. We're going to get some musical performances from uh, Billy Bauer, Bobby Siegfried of Chasing Daylight at Igor from the Red Elvises. How about that one? Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, um, so definitely tune time. in for that. It's we have a lot of other guests too, to, to kind of share there, but, uh, should be a good time. Um, and the other thing was, uh, some of our prep that we've been doing, obviously we always want to highlight the returning favorites, which just means people who have been on the show previously, um, who are now, uh, you know, uh, coming back to music fest. So, uh, real quick, Seth Witcher, Groove Merchants, They're There, Dylan Zangwill, Corinne Mamana, Chasing Daylight, Fig for a Kiss. The Accidentals, which is huge. Uh, Tioga, the Tisberries, who were on last week. Um, Emily Drinker, uh, Lehigh Valley Girls Rock. Uh, Fox Royale, Dirty Dollhouse, Billy Bauer Band, Weedus, uh, Pepperwine, and John Worthy and the Benz. So uh, 18 in all uh, there, uh, which I think is very exciting. So we're going to spend some more time about kind of highlighting some of those that night, but I just figured I'd bring it up here to kind of say thank you to all those people for coming on the show previously and to highly encourage people to start to check off those different artists to go check out during music fest. Yeah. I mean, it's there's the other artists, which we will talk about that night, which will be artists that are new to us. will And hopefully we'll be able to help uh, give people some insight in where to spend their, their festival time. Correct. Yeah. And just get people ready for it. I mean, the app is amazing. If you can download that, it's a highly recommended. um, It's a way to kind of really help navigate your, different bands that you definitely want to go see and what days and times and stages they're going to be on. And uh, it gives you other information about vendors and food trucks and all that kind of stuff. So highly recommend that part. Um, Yeah. And just some of the other behind the scenes stuff. That's kind of cool to hear from people about. Uh, Absolutely. And plus we get weather, which is like, I mean, it's an outdoor festival and I know that sounds petty, but it really, I mean, not petty, but it sounds like, so and the weather, but it's 10 days and we get a pretty good idea of what to expect. Yeah. Kind of vital. Uh, to get that right, or at least, you know, be aware of, you know, that kind of stuff since it is outdoors. But Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, let's move to our guest for tonight, shall we? That sounds awesome. So, uh, like I said, there's this song uh, called uh, uh, Benjamin Wishaw Smiled, and uh, it is such a very, very cool song. It's got such a great just kind of pop feel to it, uh, but it's also just super, uh, you know, just... Very, very cool. Uh, I think everyone's going to like this one. So take a, a listen to Sean Barna's Benjamin Wishaw Smiled. Walking down 
Sean Barna is a viscerally outspoken queer artist and performer, embedded in the tradition of fearless queer storytelling. Sean was a semi-professional drummer by age 14 and graduated with a degree in classical percussion at age 22. Barna has since served as drummer of Deaf West Theater's Los Angeles production of Spring Awakening and the National Broadway Tour for the Producers. Sean has released two albums, several EPs and singles, released in May of 2023, an evening of Macri pa- at, at Macri Park, his second LP, and Kill Rockstar's debut is a character study of the dimly lit Brooklyn queer bar, Macri Park, and the characters who thrive within its walls. Let's bring up the bridge here, and then we'll bring Sean on the show. Last time we met, I met out It's all in my head, but I know what I saw The smile Here's the uh, the climax of the song, if you will. Welcome to the show, Sean Barna. Hello, thank you. I, uh, as I was saying, I absolutely love this song. Been listening to it ever since it came out, um, and uh, just wanted to, I, I, you know, just say thank you for coming on the show. We're so honored to have you and have you share your story. I'm happy to be here. So about this video, uh, what can you share here about? Uh, you know, it's such a cool uh, little uh, kind of story within the story. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my friend Diego Molina made this and the one for Disco Nap, uh, and I made the other two. You can tell because I don't make videos, and they look like they were done on uh, a MacBook, which they were, uh, using software I don't know how to use. <laughs> this one, however, uh, my, my label told me I needed, it, or the PR company, I guess, uh, said, you should make videos, and I had said, what? <laughs> I, don't, I can't believe that I have to do that. But apparently I did, and uh, I'm glad I did. But this one and uh, Disco Nap were done on the same day. Uh, this one was done second. But basically, the street I'm talking about, West 4th Street, is where I'm record- I'm filming this. So when I'm walking down the road with my arm out, it's where Bob Dylan and Susie were walking on the mm-hmm. cover of Freewheel and Bob Dylan, which is Jones Street, also off of West 4th Street in Greenwich Village. And I'm walking down that street. Basically, basically, I'm doing what the song says. And what that song is, is me getting out of the subway at West 4th Street and walking to my bartender job. Mm-hmm. And as a songwriter that's working as a bartender, you know, in his uh, late 30s, it gets a little bit uh, exhausting. <laughs> and so on that walk every day, I had to walk by where Bob Dylan wrote Free Wheeling, which sure. is on West 4th there, his, his apartment, and then also that street. And then one day I walked by this... Uh, this bistro, this is the block before my work, and Benjamin Wishaw was there, who not only played Bob Dylan, and I'm not there, well, one of the nine people or whatever that did, mm-hmm. but uh, who is this beautiful, successful queer artist sure. living a life that I want to live, which means not bartending, <laughs> right. not dealing with Wall Street people that treat you like shit. Uh, <laughs> and it made it ruined my day, but I did uh, then invent our love affair, which is what that song is. 
Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's the other great part about that is it's basically just almost like this little fantasy that you then played out in the song uh, of the two of you having time together. And I think that's very cool. And um, our, our mutual friend, John Cameron Mitchell, I, I wrote John and I said, uh, can you please make sure that Ben hears this? <laughs> and apparently his response was, goodness me, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I went to a, a reading, he was doing a poetry reading, and I went there and I gave him an album. And I said, thanks. We got a photo together. So, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that is. Uh, for anybody who may not immediately know the name uh, right off the top, he was uh, Q in the most recent James Bond movies. Yep. And um, also Paddington Bear. And, and the voice of Paddington. I figured that one would be a good one, too, which is just great. Um, but yeah, no. And it's funny. Like, we, we talked about this with Shrug Daniels uh, two weeks ago. We played a show together, me and them. Oh, cool. We played Ortlieb's together. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And uh, we were talking about with, with, with her that, uh, you know, there's there's universality in these uh you know kind of feelings like everybody has walked down the street and had a fantasy about somebody in a window and you know all this different stuff about whether you know her songs were about going through tough breakups or friend zoning or whatever and it's just like it doesn't have to be necessarily identified as anything other than just simply uh you know an attraction or a love or affection and so on but i did want to take a moment because it's in your bio about the viscerally queer uh kind of um uh, you know, moniker that you're, you're, you're putting forth. I mean, even viscerally where it's right there, right out in front. Um, so I figured I would also make sure we share that off the top of the show because it's, it clearly is an important thing for you. Well, it's important to me because I'm the least vulnerable queer person on the planet earth. I'm from Connecticut, middle-class I'm white. Uh, I'm educated, uh, meaning like on paper educated, mm-hmm. not insulting people that aren't. Sure, I, sure, sure. Believe me, I wish I was less educated and I had more money because of it. But um, <laughs> so anyway, it would be uh, borderline disgusting for me not to be outspoken about these things, um, especially right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to get I'm just going to lean in even more. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, being being a gay or queer or whatever in art is not new, of course, but sure. really probably Rufus Wainwright was the first which wasn't that long ago, the first person who started their career, popular mm-hmm. music career, as gay. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only that, but sings about that. Like Elton yep. John, first of all, started, he wasn't out, which understandably, but his songs really aren't about, they're kind of larger than life songs anyway, like Rocket Man or whatever. But um, Right, right, right. But like Rufus is talking about being with men mm-hmm. and kind of that's where I, that tradition of writing I come from, uh, just kind of being honest in writing, but I'm just going to be honest about uh, queer things, but that's also just my life. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't make anything up. I mean, that literally is me making up a love affair that sure, but it's not like, I'm not exaggerating reality. No. Usually I'm either I'm totally, anyway, yeah, it's just, it's just out there. And yeah, I mean, no, and that, I think that's uh, admirable too. Yeah. When I say the honesty comes through in the songs and that's yes. what I think people connect to with any songwriter is a sense of honesty or some sort of character, even if they're developing it, that has an honest human factor to what well, they reflect. I, I just started crying while you we were playing it when we got to the bridge because it's like my favorite part of the record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is. I, I find it to be such an exceptionally written song for something that kind of comes across at first as poppy in a, in a great way. But, like, it's so much more complex than just a pop song. So I, I well, hesitate. there's not a chorus. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. And there's not really a hook. It's really yeah. built. So I wrote that on Adam Duritz's piano as I did a couple of the other songs on the record. I was hung over one day because I, <laughs> I was cat sitting for him and he let me have up my, I was at his house and I asked if I could have some friends over to drink his booze. And, uh, and he, <laughs> Rockstar booze, right? And sure, he, I mean, well, he doesn't really drink. <laughs> much, you know, he's, 
I'm sure he had his day, but he's sure. not. Basically, he can't really be hung over for shows. There's a lot of people relying on him, unlike myself. Um, but anyway, I was I was a cat sitting. I have the recordings. I should send them to you. Me going, but it's uh, it's written on piano just to get the sending uh, chord progression. It's chord progression itself. That's cool. Uh, thank you for sharing that tidbit. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it is. It almost has three movements to it rather than like you said, you know, kind of verse, chorus, verse kind of stuff. And I think yeah. it's really cool. Um, but yeah, why don't we roll it back? Uh, you know, you mentioned Connecticut. That's where you grew up, um, and your family was mainly listening to classic rock music, far as I could tell. And by the way, happy birthday! I understand you recently had a birthday. Yeah, I recently turned thirty-eight. <laughs> well, happy. Cut birthday. that out if you'd like. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's, People oh, are like, well, how, how do you look so good for your age? I'm like, I hate the fucking sun. It's not that I don't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my family for generations from Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Believe it or not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is uh, famous now, um, right? But um. Yeah, the radio was like classic rock. It was on the radio. So like uh you know, Queen, Billy Joel, Meatloaf, Janis Joplin, Bowie would be there. Um yeah, sure. That's it. That's what was on the But my mom always loved um music a lot. My dad did too, not really like my mom, like this is a true story. The first time I kicked in my mom's stomach, I can't believe I don't tell this all the time because this is true. The first time I kicked <laughs> in my mom's stomach was during a deep purple concert during the song Highway Star. Well, that is specific That's, and full on like rocking at that point in time. One hundred percent true, and yeah, yeah, she's had like breakfast with the drummer from the Doobie Brothers. That's all. I, it's all the details I want to know about that. <laughs> um, there's just you know things like that, but um, you know, you guys are talking about Springsteen. I was working backstage at uh, Alice Tully Hall in New York City back in two thousand eight. The Charlie Chaplin Award, and just that night, normally it's like a youth choir or some shit, but this night, it's like everybody that's been in a movie or whatever with Tom Hanks. So like Mike Nichols is there, Steven Spielberg is there, Springsteen's there to sing Streets of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm the backstage like assistant to make sure they don't get lost because it's like a maze down there. And um, my job is to wear a cheap tuxedo and pretend I don't know who anybody is usually. Right. But on this day, uh, <laughs> Bruce's <laughs> job description. I mean, really, it's like, I'm not like, oh, my God, can I get your signature on my boobs? Um, but uh, so Springsteen's manager comes up and says, hey, we need to get to the car. Can you bring us? This is after the event. And so it's me, Springsteen, Patty, and his manager in the freight elevator, which is like a big, brightly lit elevator. It goes really slow. Freight elevators usually go slow. Right. And I'm standing there, and I say, I'm not even a Springsteen guy at this point. I actually had just barely started writing songs, kind of. Um, I said, you know, Bruce. When I was two weeks old, my mother left me with my grandmother so she could go see you play at Eagle Stadium, and I don't appreciate it. And he said, and he burst out laughing and gave me a big hug and said, send my best to your mother. That's outstanding. <laughs> I'm sure he's probably like, thank goodness, that was such an original interaction. Like, Yeah, well, I just fuck with everyone. That's the same reason right. I know Adam Duritz. We were talking about, which I don't, I'm not going to treat people like they're different. Um, we. I, I'm just telling random stories now, I guess. Uh, I was yeah, in his house. Fair. It was me, me and a couple people were talking about whatever was on the radio, like Pandora radio at, at Adam's house. And he comes over like just to kind of like, hey, what's going on? What are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, we're just talking about this band. And he's like, yeah, the band's really good. But I don't know. Some of the lyrics are, I don't know. And I said this from the fucking na-na-na guy. <laughs> 
long December, the chorus is now. Right, right. <laughs> and he almost choked laughing and asked me for my phone number. So that's how I become friends with people, I guess. I'm just uh, horrible to them. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it probably is so appreciated to be just so genuine and, and you know, again, like not just fawning all over them for, uh, but to, to also have a, a little bit of a nugget into who they are too. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny. I don't know. Yeah, it is. He's gotten um, me back since he's uh, introduced me the entire tour I did with him. He introduced me to Sean Barnett and the British Cigarette Band. <laughs> look up what the Brits call cigs if you want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Very yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, I Google it. that one. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, but uh, going back to you, so it looks like at age nine you come across a set of drums and you become obsessed with that. My dad had a Champagne Sparkle Ludwig kit. Um, which remains my greatest loss in life. And it includes all of the death in my family. I sold it for $780 like an idiot when I was in high school. But my dad had a drum set because he played in middle school and like the local drum corps and stuff. And uh, it was in our basement. We had a pool table and a bar and shit. And the drum set was down there. And me and my friends wrecked it at like five years old. Basically just means broke the drum head Mm -hmm. when I was five years old. Then they put it away. And then around nine, eight or nine, I took it down uh, and put... uh, not even duct tape. I used uh, first aid tape to tape up the bass drum and uh, put it together. And um, I became wildly obsessed with this. This was 1994. So I was playing to like Tom Petty's Heartbreakers, or excuse me, Tom Petty's um, Wildflowers mm-hmm. album uh, a lot. And uh, that was kind of that and uh, Crash Test Dummies. God <laughs> this is a really feet. good Crash Test Dummies. That God Shuffled His Feet is one of the best records I've ever heard. I, and I've I, never I, heard anything like it. Yeah, um, I would agree but it, with that. I was playing to that. And then at night, I couldn't play, obviously. So I would just sit on my bed. I remember where the bed was, too, because I used to rearrange my room all the time. But I remember where the bed was at that time. And I would just sit and look at the drum set. That's cool. And uh, you recently shared like some stuff either from middle school or high school where you were playing the drums. And I'm going to link to that in here because I think it's a fun watch of you just kind of going absolutely uh, ballistic on a set of drums during a up performance or a recital or something it was the it's called mr lemonade high school it's basically like our it's not it's more than a talent show it's like a it's a it's a pageant really so you got to answer like a question like that you don't know what it's going to be you have to do formal wear and and casual wear and then you have to do the talent portion and they award Mm -hmm. mr lemon bay and then also the talent portion Mm -hmm. so like i represent the the weirdos and the queers and the artists and stuff and i wasn't going to let one of the sports guys win Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i went there and did that and i won the entire thing both that and the talent um but what's funny is nobody was listening to my song i just put out from this record or something i was just in a bad mood so i i said oh here's me drumming when i was 17 <laughs> and i got a bunch of fucking views <laughs> yeah well social media is is just it's such know, a cesspool yeah if, if you uh, lean on it a little too much but uh um that was a that was a cool share. So I'll definitely link to that, and, and people can get a kick out of that. But, Me but doing an impression also... of Gene Krupa, and then an impression of Buddy Rich. That's what that is. Uh, so it's not necessarily exactly how I would have played, but I was basically copying those two styles. And that that's what the talent was, and that's what the talent was. Yeah, the drum. That's very cool. Um, and then uh, looks like you're or you start gigging by the age of about fourteen, and uh, then things move you to Florida. Uh, so I moved to, at thirteen. We moved to Florida. Okay from Connecticut. And then, um, it was freshman year of high school. I met this guy, Chris Walker, mm-hmm. who was known as this like guitar virtuoso who knew he was a guitar virtuoso. Uh, but basically 
took himself seriously more so than maybe people at 14 would. And uh, I connected with that immediately because I was mm -hmm. the same. Him and I didn't go to parties in high school and we didn't play garage bands and we didn't play high school parties. We were playing honky talks and biker bars immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. We were doing uh, this, we were doing this jam session at High Side Cafe Blues Jam in Sarasota, Florida. And within a couple of months, we started booking gigs at a place called Kahuna's, which was a Chinese buffet, but at night it turned into like a biker bar. Sure. Right in Inglewood, Florida. And uh, we did that. And we still occasionally do it. He was doing Armed Forces Entertainment shit recently and uh, like traveling to uh, Air Force bases specifically mm -hmm. ab right. abroad. Right. And uh, I did that with him for a bit. And uh, we still talk and it's, we have a, we have a thing that we share that uh, is really specific because what we did in high school is very strange. We both learned how to play in front of people, which is an old school way of learning. Like people today are like, are you nervous for your show? I said, no, nervous is being 14 and having someone say pride <laughs> and joy at a jam session when you've never played a fucking shuffle. And the first <laughs> thing you have to play a shuffle is in front of people. That's right. Nervous. Right. Shuffles are still a nightmare. They are to be reckoned with. Anyway, that's nervous. Yeah, right. No, I, yeah, I and you already dealt with all that. <laughs> you yeah, got it behind I'm you. Not nervous. Yeah. yeah. That's like I was just saying, I just played that gig. I just told you this already, but like I just played that gig where I played drums and sang recently. Right, right. And uh, people say, oh man, isn't that hard? And I say, well, no, it was hard not to go to any parties in college when I was right. practicing all day long. Yeah. This is easy now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so that is the next. So you study classical percussion in college at Florida State. I went to. Well, it's a very specific thing. And I know you mentioned that maybe this would come up. Uh, so uh, this is how that happened. So I went there. I couldn't read music in high school, really. Uh, but I was a drum set player. And I got into Florida State as a jazz drum set player. Mm -hmm. So I got there. But for a couple of years, they were making the jazz players take a half hour of classical lessons. Got it. Right. Uh, which they ended up not doing. There's various reasons that doesn't work that well. But um, for one thing, nobody wanted to do it. But I did. <laughs> and so I, I changed it to an hour of lessons. So I had an hour of classical and an hour in jazz. And I double majored for a bit. Um, but then uh, my first semester of college is when my brother got killed. And when I came back um, after two weeks away, this was it was in November. So it's basically like leading right up to the final papers and tests and shit. I went to all my, my, my lesson people, like my drum set teacher. I said, Hey, can I just get an A or whatever, or B, whatever you're going to give me, can you just give me a grade? And I don't have any more lessons until the end of the semester. So I can finish the classes. I only have this semester. Mm -hmm. And my um, drum set teacher was like, yeah, no problem. And I went to the percussion teacher, Dr. John Parks. And he said, yeah, no problem. Don't worry about it. You just do some simple crashes or something in your lesson, just whatever, whatever. Uh, also, you haven't played in studio class yet, so you're going to play next Tuesday. You can play the Bach in A minor on marimba. Oh. And I was, like, furious. Mm -hmm. Of course. Furious. Um, looking back, by the way, after that, I changed my major to classical percussion exclusively, pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the only person that said, I'm sorry about that, but you're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've told him that since, and he knows it, that it would possibly save my life. So, mm. uh, and I, by the way, <laughs> uh, this one, wow, <clears throat> this, I was playing it and I wasn't, I wasn't really focused as you can imagine. And I was trying to, Bach is a nightmare anyway, even if you're like the greatest player in the world, it's easy to forget basically. Uh, and I was playing and I stopped and the, when you mess up Bach, you like, just forget the next note and that's it. And then you mm -hmm. just stop. It right. happens all the time to people. 
Uh, and he in studio class, by the way, that class did not know what had happened to me. The mm -hmm. jazz people knew, but not the, not the percussion people. He yelled out every single note from the He has a photographic memory. So he just has shit memorized. He yelled out every single note and I played every single note until the end. And then he clapped and everyone clapped. He made me get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and again, thank you for, for touching on that. Um, your brother, it's your freshman year of college, and he is lost to a car accident and uh, obviously is is a shattering moment, um, mm -hmm. you know, for your whole family. And so, well, I mean, I, it, the guy had a suspended license and shouldn't have been in the car. Uh, so it's not an accident, in my opinion. The state of Florida, however, it's legal to kill people with your car if you have a suspended license. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. So um, he didn't break any laws relating to killing my brother because he mm. wasn't speeding and he didn't run a stop sign or something. Um, but he was in a car he shouldn't have been in because he had a mm -hmm. suspended license. And, uh, but that's okay. So it, it, mm. an accident would be if he hadn't have had a suspended license. Maybe he was like on the, the radio was he's trying to adjust the radio. Sure, that's, no, I got that's you. That's an accident. Right. But that's probably what it was, except for he shouldn't have been in the fucking car. But. No, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, you know, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great couple years, no. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and you... Uh, you also through the years in college there you actually start to work through that grief through music immediately yeah and even start bringing in guitar uh in, in some of the songwriting that you're now getting involved in is that correct not in college so what happened okay. was um well kind of so here's that so i first semester that happens and then i come back and i practice i out practice everybody in the school of music 1050 people uh, it got up to about 15 hours a day at one point. Oof. Um, I did not, I did not have, I did not go to parties. I did not have friends in any traditional sense. I didn't, you know, make out with anyone in college or anything. Uh, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced. Um, and then my junior year, I was going to go to, um, I got my teacher, the one that I was just talking about, he asked me to he had been asked to pick a junior, I believe it was, to do um, this Percussive Arts Society International Convention. This guy, Tom Ford, who's a great marimba player, had just released a book of intermediate studies, and he was going to do a big master class to a couple thousand people. And I was going to be one of the guys that he would, like, demonstrate, like, basically give me a lesson in front of people, like a short mm -hmm. lesson. And I was practicing for that, and I was... It, it's, way, it's way, like, easier than I'm practicing for it. I'm pretending it's, like, some you know, concerto or something, but it's really just intermediate <laughs> exercises. And the Wednesday before, and I was in my lesson and I was trying to play and my hands were like shaking and I couldn't hit the, the intervals because you're holding two mallets in each hand. Right. Sure. I couldn't hit the intervals. And my uh, teacher said, put the mallets down. And he said, he recognized, because this had kind of happened to him in college. He said, you're about to like, your nerve, your nervous system is shutting down right now. You're right, about right, to have right. a nervous breakdown. And he said, there's another life-saving thing. He said, if I find you in this building, before we leave on Friday to go to this convention, I'm pulling you from the event and you're not playing it. Wow. Uh, and I was furious again. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I have to practice. He said, well, you make your decisions, but if I find out you're in this building for not a class, then uh, you're, you're done. You're not doing the event. You're not allowed to practice until you're at the convention, in the convention hall where everyone's looking at instruments and it's loud. Mm -hmm. Then you can, you can practice. And he said, and I'm giving your roommate the day off today. All of us practice a lot giving your roommate the day off today. Uh, you're going to go home and watch the movie shine and then come in here to tomorrow and tell me what you learned. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And uh, sure enough, I didn't, I didn't, 
I, I, he wasn't kidding. So I, I didn't practice till we got there. And then I, uh, got to the event and, uh, I didn't, I didn't make any mistakes. And the guy is like, well, I don't have anything to say, but anyway, next. <laughs> <laughs> My point is that that was junior. And I went to Aspen music festival that summer. And I, I finally, you can't ignore how beautiful life is sometimes mm -hmm. when you're there in a mountain like that, such a beautiful right. place. And Aspen music festival is the most prestigious music festival and all this shit. I got there and I stopped practicing, stopped no more, except for to prepare for like a thing. I'm not going to mm -hmm. suck when I go play a Shostakovich piece or something, but no more practicing to get better. And I haven't since. Um, uh, so I stopped, I was just in the mountains and stuff. And I came back and I told him, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not doing anymore. I'm, I'm changing my major. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll do basically I downgraded it from bachelor of music to bachelor of arts. So mm -hmm. I didn't have to take any more lessons cause that's the real motherfucker of time. Well, it's just so hard. You're so focused on it. Um, and I, and I got a political science double major, but, um, it was at Aspen Music Festival. I was going to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert alone because that's how I do things still, mm -hmm. really. Uh, and I bought a guitar in Denver and I said, I want to I wanna learn how to play like Bob Dylan songs or Beatles songs poorly. I never, ever want to try to get good at this. And I've stuck to it because I have the knowledge for the chords and stuff from going to classical music school. Or sure. But I've never sat and done scales still. And it's kind of getting in the way now a little bit. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe I need to do a little bit, but I really have stuck to it. And it's, uh, it's made it something I enjoy because of the art of it, not the art of getting better at the instrument. I'm not trying to be a guitar player. I'm a drummer. If someone wants to hire me to do that, nobody's ever going to hire me to play guitar. And I'm really fine with that. Same with piano. Sure. I'm, in sure. I'm intrigued by the combination that you just discussed with this sort of like high end theory percussionist in your mind that has to battle the, weekend playing guitar-esque skills that you're referring to and writing songs, how those two things come together. That's a really interesting, like the classical mind with the sort of like intentional Jerryman guitar skills. And I'm intrigued on how that comes together for your songwriting. Well, so even when I was doing classical stuff, I was doing Bach or Debussy. I wasn't particularly interested in the like, uh, the highly technical shit. You know, mm -hmm. I like beautiful stuff. Sure. And I was always a very emotional player even in, on drum set, but, um, guitar, I mean, you're going to get pretty good at it anyway, but I'm not going to sit and do scales for hours anymore. I'm not going to do that. Um, that being said, like finger picking, like it's never been hard for me to do that, to think about what each finger is doing individually and sing. That's just drumming and coordination and stuff. It's sure, easy. Sure, sure. Singing and playing guitar was never, there was never, uh, you know, a hill I had to climb to do that. Once you get to such a level, you know, a, a very like seriously world-class professional level at something, which I'm not anymore, by the way, at, at classical percussion, like that isn't something that doesn't transfer, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Sure. Not, it's just, it's a, it's a way of thinking, a way of separating things, a way of, no, if I can't like get up to a, a minor chord up the, up the fretboard or something, like I can pretty quickly go through the motions of like how to fix that pretty quickly. Sure. Um, so it's not like I don't practice, but I'm not going to obsess about it and try to be a guitar player. I'm a songwriter. And as far as the theory and stuff, I mean, you're learning chords and chord changes and structures and stuff. You learn, um, forms of, of songs and, you know, you just, that's just kind of like anyone, any music you learn, you're going to learn that. And then if you want to change to other instruments, it's kind of easier. I could be very, very good at guitar in one year. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like I know how to do it, you know? Right, right, right. But you're more into, like you said, you're, you're telling stories and you're just writing songs around the stories. And then yeah. 
that's the more important emphasis there. And I think that's, you know, that's very cool. Is this around the time where you get inspired by the Counting Crows? Like uh, you watch VH1 storytellers and MTV 10 spot about them. Is that where that happens? No. So almost. So I had the guitar. I quit playing music. Um, in a, Well, so I actually, that in my junior year, I decided I'm not going to practice anymore like this. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it. I used to enjoy playing drums. To, to this day, it is hard. If I... I have a different fucking personality. It's like I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and I'm aware of it. So I'm more careful around people, but it's not like, remember I was dealing with immense grief and pouring sure. it right through. So like right. smashing a wall with my hand because mm-hmm. I messed something up once. It's just like used to be the norm. Anyway, I stopped doing that, but Im- immediately when I stopped practicing, I, all of a sudden I'm playing the musicals at Florida state, which um, they had a great theater program. So I'm having fun. I'm meeting people. Sure. That's new. I, it's, I can't emphasize enough that I didn't meet people in college except for the people in my, my program. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm playing again, and all of a sudden, the producer's Broadway show, my friend had already graduated, and he was Leo Bloom for the two last years of the official tour. Mm. But the last year, the drummer left, Greg, uh, and uh, I got the gig. Somebody told the music director I was cute. <laughs> That's true. Right. No audition. But the thing is, if you sucked the first day, you would have been gone. But we, sure, uh, right. we ran it once in Atlantic City, and then we opened uh, in Atlantic City at Harrah's, where I would be fired a year later from the same company for my attitude. Um, anyway, so right before I went on that tour, this was um, summer uh, 2007. I, summer of 2007. I was about to go on that tour, and my cousins brought me to a Counting Crows show. And I was, I actually, Collective Soul and Live were playing. And I actually, Collective Soul was one of those, I had the, that um, that blue album they had. Mm-hmm. And I would play drums to that too. That was one of the ones I had back sure. in the mid 90s. I did not have a Counting Crows record. I didn't know really anything about them. Uh, however, what I saw that night was like male vulnerability kind of for the first time. We don't do a ton of that up in New England, uh, Irish Italians. Sure. No, I got you. <laughs> uh, something about it. I don't know. But, um, I just saw this like this storyteller, someone who was just really in it, or at least that's how I felt it. And I met him after randomly because my cousin knew somebody who knew somebody, and it was outside, so the backstage, mm-hmm. like outside. Um, and um, he's like, "Yeah, it was a weird show." Uh, so I, my girlfriend and I just broke up, so, and it was like, "Oh, he's really like this." Like it was just <laughs> he had a bad day, you know. But anyway, I didn't think anything of it, but. uh, except for I started like being interested in words. Sure. So I started writing words down. And, um, and so, uh, that's why I started writing. And what's interesting is my first day of college, fast forwarding four years prior to that, I met my new roommate in the dorm and he put on the song. He's like, listen to this. And he put on, um, Mr. Jones from that live at the 10 spot, the, uh, right. Cross the wire is what it, what's called. He ha- put on that song, and I remember being struck by it because I knew the song from the radio, of course. Sure. And I was hit. like, oh, that's really interesting. This is so much more interesting to me than the one that's on the radio. Um, and so that was my first day of college. And I, I didn't like go buy the CD or anything. I was like listening to jazz exclusively at that moment. Sure. Um, so he's been in my life kind of close. And then I started writing. And uh, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, another person that you meet, uh, it looks like, um, you get booked at an outlaw road show and meet Dave Drago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I was in, uh, LA and, uh, 
I would see these things at Outlaw Roadshow. They would put up these garden sessions, which are just like an acoustic performance, which I learned later was just in Adam's living room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His house is fairly sizable. Um, <laughs> in Greenwich Village, it's, it's like fucking hilarious to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I remember thinking like, remember I said like I wasn't in high school playing with my friends and the parties and stuff. We were gigging. So me and Chris really didn't have a community in a standard way. It was older blues guys. We were, that was our community kind of, sure. but it weird. But I remember this music community, I had kind of been longing for that where it's, it's like classical percussion. It's like you're focused, laser focused on what you're doing and your mm-hmm. execution of it. And right. You, you, there is a community in it cause you're doing it together with other people, but I always want to do it. So I wrote, they were taking submissions back then. So 2013, I wrote and said that I, I started writing songs cause of counting crows and I love them now, by the way. Sure. At this point. And uh, can I play? And they said, maybe, but then they canceled. That was Austin that year. They canceled that. And the next year, I was in D.C. and I got a call. Can you be here by 3 p.m. on Friday? Uh, we need someone to play the first set the first day in Austin. So me and my partner at the time, Sam, drove 25 hours straight or whatever it is from D.C. to, to Austin without stopping because they couldn't. I got there 20 minutes before my set. Whoa. Oh. And I played. And then I just hung out for three days because I was like, community. <laughs> right, right, right. The funny thing is that that one was like, it was dying in Austin. So what it was, I didn't really know any better. What it was kind of wasn't for that. And Adam wasn't there. He couldn't make that one. So fast forward to October or whatever that year, maybe the next year. I don't even know. Um, probably the next year. I, I wrote Ryan Spaulding, who was one of the organizers, and said, can I come play? in new york and he said yes and he put me up the map room in the bar electric which is upstairs it's this little little room it's got like 30 capacity it's really small and um i'm standing there and i see adam walk in and i was like oh fuck (laughs) right (laughs) right he's gonna be here um and the first three songs i thought were terrible because my band sucked and then later i'm talking to some friends we'll get to dave drago by the way sure yeah no i got you talking with some friends and i get he walked out after the fourth song. I played the song Cutter Street alone. I told the band to fucking not play. It's not <laughs> terrible. Wow. So I, I got this. I was like, guys, it's, you all want to be musicians, but none of you want to learn the fucking songs. I don't understand what's... It's not that goddamn hard to learn a song. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I'll just keep going if we keep going there. So right. I played Cutter Street alone, and then he walks out. And I was like, oh, damn. Well, that was fun. It didn't occur to me. He's going to see the other band that's playing downstairs. He's not like mm. walking out at me. A couple hours later, I get a tap on the shoulder. I turn around and he's there. He says, man, that song Cutter Street, Everything Waits for Athena. You don't even need to know what that fucking means. It just hits you. And I was like, wow. I was like, you're the reason I started writing songs. And he (laughs) said, I'm glad when it works out. And then he walked away. (laughs) That's a true story. So anyway, (laughs) that same day, (laughs) that same day, I met Dave Drago uh, in that same spot. And I might have been actually talking to him at that moment. But uh yeah, we were just uh, laughing a bunch, and we ended up back at Adams, um, partying, and haven't stopped laughing since, really. And he's and now produced. Sissy. That's what I was gonna say. So Dave produces uh, albums for you, even plays bass in the band now, right? If if you guys are going full band, he is essentially my music director. He's the one that kind of takes me in a direction rather than me just existing as slime. Um. <laughs> So basically, I was working on a, a record. It was going to be an LP called Margaret Thatcher, The Lower East Side. And then I ran out of money. 
to finish it. I had done the drums and some other shit, but I'd run out of money. And I was complaining to him about it. And he had just bought a new uh, mixing console, a, a new uh, analog one, which means like there's like bugs to work out, dust sure. to get out. Like it's sure. like literally there could be a dead bug and mm. you have to get it out of there. You know? <laughs> like all dead, kinds of bugs. Old, old, old boards are like crazy. Dead sliders, the whole thing. And he's like, I can't reasonably like charge anyone to do anything yet. So why don't you come up? We'll make a song together and drink some beers, have a good time. And that'll be that. Yeah, I can work on this and learn it and hang out with my family. And so I go up there and three and a half days later, we had recorded all of Sissy, all five songs. I had written three of the songs I was up there. Um, like the night before I'd record them. Like, I'd be like, I'm going to write it. I just like, would, we just figured out how quickly we work. I'm like, he'll go to bed fairly early. Cause he's got a young kid at the, well, he has a young kid now too, but the kid at the time was like three or something. He had to go to bed fairly early to deal with the morning with his family. And I would just stay up uh, drinking and writing songs. The first night before we did anything, I got there, I wrote the song serious child in the middle of the night, like two in the morning in the guitar room. The next room I wrote, I think 13 pages of lyrics to danger baby and eventually figured it out what it needed to be and then i wrote a uh, modern man i think the last day and we recorded all of it the only thing we didn't record is i drove the night we finished i drove back to new york city and i, ha I happened to have dinner with adam and some of his friends in greenwich village and i was so like you hear dave talk about this too it's the same we were both like what just happened like we had to reckon with it it was a weird thing and we knew right. both of our lives were different if, at least artistically i don't mean like riches and fortune and all that but like sure we weren't going to be the same anymore. And I'm talking to Adam about it. And he's like, you got to let me sing on it. That's so and I said, Duritz, you're too famous to just say that without hearing it. Hold on. You get a mulligan. Like you'll listen to it. So I sent it to him and he was like live tweeting me in text. Like you have to let me sing on routines. You have to let me sing on routines. And he did. Uh, and like, so like now me, Dave and him are all like in this, like together kind of. And now he, Adam, that's like way bigger on the new record. I'm looking, it's like right here. That's why I'm looking at it. Um, on the new record, Adam's on six songs and mm -hmm. right. And there's other people too. And, and Dave's involved with that. And, but also Dave finished. So Dave made Sissy for free. And Dave made this for not that much money. Cause we were kind of in it together. And it's literally sure. both actually legally financially a partnership to the stuff we've done together, but it just kind of investing in this like thing that we have together. Uh, and he also finished Margaret Thatcher, Lurry Side for me, um, which is now an EP because Adam walked up to me talking to some people at his house, just like when I met him. And he said, what are you guys talking about? And I said, oh, I'm telling him about my new LP, Margaret Thatcher, Lurry Side. And he hadn't written anything to me about it. And he'd heard it. And he said, yeah, it's not as good as Sissy. And he walked away. <laughs> 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 he's really good at that. Drop a drop a like a verbal bomb and walk he has away. no idea he's doing it. He's just, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. He's he, it's just funny, but yeah. So Dave and I are, are partners, and he's in the band. He does all the background vocals, and then Adam was making his new record, Butter Miracle, and he said, uh, "Man, I really just want it to sound like Sissy. I like I want like Dave's vocals. I love it, the glam." And I was like, "Dave's not dead, you know. <laughs> he's he's right there. He's actually Roger. known Adam longer than I have." Right. So we called him, I think, the next day or that week, and Dave sings all the background vocals on Butter Miracle because of the way Sissy sounded, and that's what he wanted. Oh, that's so cool. Wow, that that's so a, cool. That's a great connection to have all that come together like that. Yeah, and I told Rolling Stone magazine they should write, I don't know, music journalism, and they literally said, we just don't have the writers for this. <laughs> so wow. remember when he cut his hair? That was in fucking Rolling Stone magazine. That yeah. was really important. Mm -hmm. That, that is awesome. news. Someone got a haircut. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it is kind of news, but well, not it's, more. It's not music journalism. That's correct. No, no, not at all. Well, I think this is a good moment too because this brings a whole bunch of this elements together. And and you had said you might be able to perform routines uh, today yeah. on the show. Um, a couple different things about it. Obviously, you just talked about where it was written and Adam's kind of involvement there to to sing on it and and Dave's producing. Um, but this song is also about, if I understand it right, your mother working through the grief of losing her son. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, and we'll let you speak to it. Um, we'll put you here and we'll come off the screen so you can have center stage. Yeah. Okay. If, whatever you want. Um, I'm going to, uh, tune this again. <laughs> Basically, uh, I was talking to Franz Nikolai once we were doing a house show together. He's in, um, the hold steady. And he said, you're going to get tired of writing about yourself. And I was like, how could I possibly, but you got me thinking. And I, um, decided to start with an image of my mom on uh, the porch. And it's not a porch that has been in her family. It's a porch that we bought. There used to be a time where you families would stay in their house for generations or whatever. We moved to Florida and that wasn't the case. So it's just uh, something lost when you move and moving on generations. And it's a song about loss and grief and how um, kind of like can't blame anybody for anything when they're going through something like that. So. <laughs> Good enough for rock and roll. This woman Just sits on the porch A house and daddy didn't build She's been missing her mother today As she does And she notices the birds And the tattoo on her leg It's my brother's name She says, fuck me Losing him still hurts she says, I'll burn this cigarette until the day I die. She's got her routines down there in no stopping in straight now. She should it have. Favor and book doesn't matter now. She did the best she could. And when her baby comes home, she stay in the other room. I guess when you love him down, sometimes it's the distance that gets you through. Not a goddamn day goes by where she don't know what he tells her to do. She's got her roots down there in no stopping this green now. She's got her roots down there 
And on stopping this freight train now. Oh, and now we better off. I don't know. And now we better off a line that she can't say for sure. Now we better off today. And the day her sweetheart died My, oh my, oh my, oh my And when she is in the mood She'll talk about skipping school Fifteen and drunk out on the catwalk Guess when you can see the highway Out the window of your childhood bedroom You can never leave too soon Guess everyone needs to decide for themselves what it is A mental door She says I regret almost everything But I'm so glad that I had you She's got her routines now Ain't no stopping this retreat now. She's got her routines down there. Ain't no stopping this retreat now. She. He's got a routine down there Ain't no stopping this freight train now That was beautiful Thanks That is a, a wonderful, wonderful song and a terrific performance Thank you for so much for sharing that Thanks Yeah Special. Thank you. Uh, that was terrific. Oh. Uh, I don't know how to transition out of that one. David, you got anything? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I feel like this is a meanwhile yeah, right. <laughs> in weather news kind um, of moment that you just have no good toss. Do you, yeah. um, I, if you want to hear another one, I'm glad to play it. I don't know what your time restrictions are or whatever. But. I mean, we would love to hear. So, but I also want to be sensitive to, I know you have a performance tonight and stuff like the that. The last one of a two and a half month tour, I'm going to be drunk and I have some steroids. It's going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, terrific. Why don't we, uh, so you were talking about playing uh, disco nap, right? Yeah. Um, so let's first talk about, uh, cause it's off the, the more current album. So let's, let's transition into that. I did have one question if you don't mind. I don't mind. And this is another, Oh, there we, there we go. There's oh, the, before your question, I want yeah. For people that go find this at the record store, this quote from Bob Boylan. Here's a little inside baseball. Yep. The day before they put these stickers on all these fucking records, I was doing something on my website, and I noticed that the quote, instead of saying hunky-dory, said honky-dory. <laughs> all of these came that close. Wow. had a honky-dory written on them. Yeah. And actually, that's how uh, – so I listened to All Songs Considered, uh, and it was Bob Boylan picking – really, it was um, Everyone's a Queen on Halloween. <laughs> he, he played that one. I can't believe he did that one. 
but yeah. <laughs> well, I think it had, and then he recently played, uh, when, well, when it came out as a single, uh, the Benjamin Wishaw Smiled song. And I was just like, man, two good songs in a row. I got to go check this guy out. And then I learned Philly based and all this other stuff. And so that's kind of how we got to here. But um, uh, that it, it's because of Bob Boylan that I even came across your music. And, and uh, Well, that's, that's his job. I'm glad he's doing it well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Let's hear it for Bob. Anyway, Bob's uh, a sweet guy, and I uh, and uh, everyone in D because I lived in DC for so long. Uh, everyone in DC knows him, and everyone kind of wants something from him. And I, I, I feel like an idiot for this now, but the night before, I knew also I was going to have it. I was like, I was like, you know, I know we're friends. You know, not you know, we're like really good acquaintances, friends, whatever. Sure. He, you don't, you're not going to do this because of that, right? He's like, do you know how many unread emails I have right now? Basically, it's like 11,000. He's like, I don't do anything for friends in this capacity. It's like not sure. possible. So. Right, right, right. Anyway, no, that, that was is me. very cool. Um, but uh, so the question I had was, it was this kind of a, I think it was an interesting story. And again, it's in one of these vulnerable categories of where um, you had a lot of this music coming out, like with Sissy and stuff like that, um, that you almost, you, your words were, you felt like a dishonest artist because you had not fully come out yet, at least to your parents and such. Mm -hmm. um, and then you did it on a hike in 2018, and it went extremely well from what I could understand. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I just think that was an interesting story to maybe touch on. It's, um, it's evening at Macri Park. So the queen here, that's Ruby Roo. Mm -hmm. But there's many other characters there. Um, the one that's important with this story is Misty Meaner. Misty Meaner is actually Ruby Roo's drag mother. Got it. Misty Mean. I don't know if you've been around drag queens. They are not uh, suffering fools. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually wearing my drag shirt today. Excellent. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, well, we were at an after party upstairs at Macri Park. It's the building actually upstairs. And um, she says, can I talk to you for a second? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And she says, you're a fucking coward. Whoa. For like an hour. She said, you owe it to me. You owe it to your partner. You owe it to your parents. You owe it to everyone in this room. You're a coward for doing this and being like, you can be in the closet. It's not, nobody forces anyone out of the closet or they're an asshole, but I'm not, I'm like towing this line where mm -hmm. I'm like using queerness and stuff kind of with sissy had been out. Remember? Sure. And I'm like, kind of like speaking of and for the scene in a way. And she's like, that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. yourself, basically. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I, yeah, there's an article I, I have it in the aquarium of the dishonest artist. Um, I think that's where I got all that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could read that story, but uh, we'll definitely link to it. Game changer. Yeah, but um, and then I was up in uh, Lake City at my friend's cabin, uh, and that's right with a bunch of my friends. I feel very powerful there and very safe. Mm -hmm. So I, I did it over a voice memo, but uh, that's also where my friend, the song "Sleeping with Strangers," ends up there because my friend died in an avalanche. My friend Laura, mm. and uh, my song "Sleeping with Strangers" it takes place there too. Is that I was just in that cabin too, but uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, Basically, what I said at the beginning of this, where it's disgusting for me not to speak out about this stuff. Sure. I got called out on it. Yeah. I got red, red for filth, as it would be known. <laughs> well, the, uh, and uh, the, thank you for touching on Sleeping with Strangers. That's going to be our closing music. Uh, we always play a track by the artist uh, that's on the show after the credits. Um, so yep. everyone stay tuned for, uh, for Sleeping with Strangers. There's another great track off this, this album. But yeah, Evening at Macri Park uh, comes out. Great acclaim, all this good stuff. And then you have this great song, Disco Nap. And uh, would love to hear you play because it's another one of the, these ones that I just have on repeat. Um, but uh, a disco nap, again, I had to look this one up. It was like kind of like, I guess you go out and then you need a little bit of a nap before you go out again. Is that what a disco nap is? Disco nap, yeah. Uh, short nap, basically, like a power nap. Sure. 
But uh, is there anything else you associate with the disco era? Yes. There's multiple ways to feel energized <laughs> about life. <laughs> That's right. I kind of wanted to make sure that uh, nobody's actually sleeping on this record. Okay. No, I got you. <laughs> Put that out there. Perfect. Okay, yeah. so we'll come back off the screen again. Anything else you want to share about the track or whatever? Thank you. Again uh, for I, I, if I feel so inclined, I'll share. I wrote this on Adam's piano too. So the album opens with "Be a Man," basically. Uh, which is the song he and I co-wrote later, the faster version, but it opens with Be a Man and Disco Nap, but I, I wrote it on Adam's piano, and I have the voice memo, and it sounds funny because my voice is shot because I'm hungover from cat sitting in my birthday. Yeah, so I would have written that probably four years ago, three years ago today, right around now. Okay. This is um, how my album starts, except for it's not on piano at this, in this version. And if you walk through the fire, would you notice? Would you look back and see your way in? And if you tired, would you notice that you've got a life to live in? It's for real to sit here for a while. I'll try not to think. Sit here, darling. Sit here, darling, and be a man with me. Sit here for a while I'll try not to drink Sit here, darling Sit here, darling Come be a man with me Come with me and walk ourselves down Jane Street Last night was a big sad guy He just wouldn't leave So I finally told him I finally told him if you're an agri-bar, then baby, you found the scene. Mm -hmm. oh. no. came here for the music, but I'm Enough with all these bars and hospitals, can't keep my head up. 
so I take a little disco now. Take a little disco now. Oh, the king of hearts, and you just wanted a queen. I gave you an audience, what's in it for me? Baby, I could use a pack of cigarettes. I've been going hard, but I still have some left. I will always be on daddy's little girl. And I will always hide my bruises with my best girl. So come a little closer. Come a little closer. I like it when you're dancing. So come a little closer. Now do it with some feeling. I like it when you're dancing. I'm looking because you showed me. Just like it when you're dancing. She ran out from the bathroom and ran into the street. Thank you for the audience now, baby, let's leave. Thank you so much. Man, that is... That's a powerful song. And a great, again, wonderful performance there. It's, it's just so awesome to see, like, you know, you just throw yourself right all into it. Well, I don't have me playing drums on the record with me live, so I have to, <laughs> except for the other night, so I have to just go for it. Just, yeah. I don't know. These are visceral songs. We start for to sure. Come with me. Let's walk ourselves down Jane Street. Jane Street is relatively one of the shortest streets in New York City. It's only five blocks. On one end of Jane Street is the Jane Hotel, which is where Hedwig and the Angry Inch off-Broadway performed in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Also where RuPaul, pre-fame, lived upstairs in the 80s. Yep. If you walk down Jane Street five blocks, the other end of Jane Street is the AIDS Memorial, the HIV mm-hmm. AIDS Memorial. So what you right. have is the entire gamut of what we are, beautiful things, and then the beautiful things being destroyed. Sure. Um, that's, yeah, what, yeah. Uh, that's, what, that's why that is there, I guess. Yeah, and like there's there's been commentary about like you know your songwriting and what you're bringing to the to the table of being like making sure that the uh, LGBTQ voice uh, has space uh, in rock music like the 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 accolades you're getting and and you know the, the you know the the positive reaction you're getting to this music even though it is visceral and it is you know something that. Uh, you know, you kind of got to be ready for it to listen to. It's not just, you know, something to, to easy listen to. That's true about me uh, just being in my, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, that's terrific. But I just more mean, like, I, I wanted to, you know, just comment on that, that the, the reactions to this, both from professional music journalism, like we talked about before, and just, you know, um, common everyday listeners, I think has been tremendous. And I just can't wish but anything but the best for you and, and, uh, you know, all the great, uh, you know, opportunities coming forward. I, I hope, so I know you're on the last, uh, you know, 
uh, gig of this particular tour. But uh, you had mentioned you might be setting up some East Coast stuff again. So August 31st, I'm playing, I'll announce this probably. I'm playing a sleepwalk in Brooklyn, which is where all the yellow scenes in that video my friend's bar in Brooklyn. Okay. And uh, he has a beautiful listening room there. He bought the old knitting factory um, sound system even, which they just opened again somewhere else. But anyway, it's just beautiful listening room. And uh, I'm doing a show there August 31st with me and Paisley Fields, who's a queer country singer. Okay. And, uh, Mia Byrne, who is one of the, the bigger burning lights on Kill Rock Stars. And I'm going to do a solo acoustic thing there. I also have just recorded a bluegrass record, traditional bluegrass record. Fun. Um, and I'm trying to do vocals for that. So I might play some of that stuff too, a little more finger picking stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But that's happening. But then basically there'll be that push. September, I'm going to be down uh, Nashville for like Americana Fest. I'm not playing officially, but Kill Rockstars is doing something. So I'm doing some with them. Got it. I'm going to do some more recording. But um, really, I really hope I could play festivals finally. Like I want to be the little fucking name on the bottom. I don't care. <laughs> I really, really want right. to do that. Like I'm hoping, I'm hoping like somebody read Pitchfork and like will call me and. That's me. true. Yeah, you got right. pretty really good. What I want to do, I really yeah. want to play festival. Um, I was pseudo dating the. Uh, I shouldn't say that out loud. I'll tell you that after off the mic. Let's just say it's, it's the worst piece of networking I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I was pseudo dating the uh, event director of Pitchfork Music Festival, and um, the week of my review, we decided we weren't actually going to speak to each other anymore. <laughs> and then the review came out and anyway i don't know if i'll get onto that festival but um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to make it up to him uh, that's but amazing he's sweet sweet guy i miss him um yeah yeah that's what i'd like to do but i i, I gotta rest this this is uh, sure yeah i just need a second i think i gotta make some money and mm-hmm. i gotta book a better tour meaning like more efficient and not not leave a week in la without a show you know right 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 no sure. yeah and can't wait to catch a show somewhere here on the East Coast. I, basically, you had let me know about the, the, the kind of the record release party that was happening in Philly, and it just didn't work out for me. And I was so sad that I couldn't be there. So I'm hoping uh, I can catch it uh, next time around uh, when it's here. But again, Philly, New York, whatever, it's pretty reachable yeah, for us. Yeah, Sleepwalk in Brooklyn on August 31st to be cool. Uh, the, the band, as it were, I don't think we'll see that again uh, like that. It's going to change. Mm-hmm. I may even do drumming and singing as more of a thing for a second. That's cool. Um, but we'll see. I don't know yet, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for sharing the story and the music and everything. It was such an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad it worked out. Absolutely. David. Philip. Sean Barna. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. Bonus, just bonus song. Uh, love when we have a bonus song. Yeah. And I mean, we learned so much. I mean, yeah. What did we learn? Well, talk about the word honesty, like big capital letters, honesty. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a person that uh, sort of lives their life on their sleeve or whatever that idiom is that I'm probably not getting right at all. (laughs) What what is it? Put your heart on your sleeve. You wear your emotions on your sleeve. See, I was close. Um, But it was regardless um, to connect with a human who's willing to be so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and to be so honest is an odd and eye-opening moment where we all have to take account of ourselves yeah yeah and just also like the where kind of different moments in his life were tough to get through but it kind of fed the artist and you know worked through the the various you know difficulties through that and you know 
I, I don't know. I was just so pumped when I reached out and he was like, yeah, I'll come on for the interview. I, again, I always talk about that, but I'm always just so kind of like blissfully surprised. I'm always just like, that's terrific. Awesome. Let's do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just was, uh, thrilled to be able to get to know more about Sean and, and get to hear some of the stories behind the songs and, and have him play like, Holy smokes. That was incredible. A hundred percent. All right, Phil, let, let's say goodbye to everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of your next favorite band. We'd like to sincerely thank Sean Barna for coming on our show and sharing all of those uh, incredibly moving stories uh, and funny and poignant and uh, sweet and just sharing his music as well. It was just such a treat to not only be able to share some of the recordings here and again stick around uh, after the credits to hear uh, I've Been Sleeping With Strangers but uh, we also have um, you know, two wonderful visceral performances of, of tremendous songs there, uh, Routines and Disco Now. There'll be links in the show notes uh, to his website, Spotify, YouTube, Bandcamp, all that good stuff, as well as um, uh, a link to that post he did for his uh, the, the drum solo during the talent show in high school, as well as his article about being the uh, the dishonest artist and how that uh, kind of uh, kind of had a transformational moment for him. I think it's an excellent read, so definitely check that out. Um, as always, our hope here is to bring you your next favorite band. If you've tuned in today because you already know Sean, thank you so much. Uh, hope you enjoyed it and uh, would consider like, subscribe, follow us so that you can uh, maybe get your next favorite band in future episodes. Um, we would also love to hear if you have a recommendation for our next favorite band. Uh, throw it down in uh, either the socials or through email or what have you. You can go to nextfavband.com to find out how to get in touch with us about that. Um, if you're a musician or, or a potential sponsor, you can reach out as well, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, up next, obviously, is uh, turning the calendar page to, to August, which is Music Fest. And here is Sleeping with Strangers by Sean Barna. Thanks for coming, buddy. Good. Hello, my friend. Go find a man covered in blood, a man who needs some change. Come and ask me when it's nice and I'm feeling good. High on cocaine, mistaken for pain. Land just needs some kind of documentary. Stay until night.
leave me a scar Let's pick up some beers Let's take a drive out west I got some friends out there 